Welcome to the Compliance for Radio Show. We're dedicated to helping you connect with the greatest minds in the regulatory, legal, and compliance fields. Here's your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Guarino. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you now. That's a glitch, so we'll, <laughs> I don't know. Something went down. All right, hold on, everybody, everybody listening. So that's a, that's a prime example of what goes wrong. So hold on just a minute. We'll see if we're connected mm-hmm. yet. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. There we go. All right, everybody, that's live radio for you. Sorry about that. All right, hang on, stand by. We're going to start again. We're going to roll back, and we will edit that out. No big whoop. Hang on just a minute. Ready to go. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Compliance for Radio Show. We're dedicated to helping you connect with the greatest minds in the regulatory, legal, and compliance fields. Here's your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Guarino. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second Compliance for Radio show. We're so excited that you're all here with us. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our show. We are a new show here on Blog Talk Radio. We are also syndicated on iTunes and a variety of other spots, including the Best Ever You Network, which is also airing on iHeartRadio and iTunes, Stitcher FM, and a number of other areas. So syndicated all across the world, and we're really thankful that you're listening with us here today. So today I've got a really special guest. His name is Dave Carson. He is the Director of Client Strategies from Ultima Sun Solutions. Dave, how are you today? I am great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being with us. And I, I just appreciate you working through our, our little glitch we had in the beginning there, but we're going to fix it and everything will be okay. And everybody can listen and share the show. If at any point you can't hear me, just let me know again. I know we're having a little bit of technical problems, so it'll all be great. But um, you, oh man, you have some really cool responsibilities there at Ultimus. And I would love to hear about what you do at Ultimus Fund Solutions and some of the you know, just all about Ultimus, really. That would be so helpful if you could just, you know, tell us about Ultimus and tell us about what you do there. It'd be great. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, and, and thank you for having me um, on on the program. I'm just absolutely delighted I get to talk with you. Um, I think you know you're one of my favorite people in the industry, and getting to do this with you is just uh, an honor, privilege, and delight. So um, Ultimus Fund Solutions is – um, a primarily open-end mutual fund administrator. Um, we work very closely with advisors that want to package investment strategies into things that, you know, the packages that investors can invest in uh, broadly. Um, 
like I said, it's mostly open-end mutual funds. There can be closed-end mutual funds. There are private funds that we can support, but it's primarily open-end mutual funds. Um, we are a independent uh, boutique administrator, um, although um, we serve over 260 funds and almost 100 advisors, so we're not tiny by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we are about 19 years old as a company, and our, our founders had worked previously at a small company that was acquired by a large national firm, and um, they did not have a very good experience at the, the, the large national firm. Um, so they you know, started getting together and said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And when they had the opportunity, they, they founded Ultimus. Our mission statement is to become the most trusted business partner to investment advisors and fund families by providing a highly valued suite of professional services. And um, that mission statement, I think, reflects the, the personality of our founders, reflects the personality of the firm now 19 years later, and is uh, something that, you know, you, you, you could certainly, I, I think lots of people could uh, say something like that, but it's something that, that we bring each and every day that we come into the office. And um, um, I think if you talk to just about any of our clients, they would say that that's what their experience is working with Ultimus. You know, I get this giant feeling of trust. That's what I love. Like when I look at your website and when, I, when I've when i met you in person and, and all these things, I think trust. I don't know why I think well, that, but if you want yep. to expand on that, please do. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. <laughs> just my marketing vibe and my, you know, just – Whenever I encounter anything that you guys post, your website, things that you're doing, and so forth, it just feels like something you can really count on to be real and what it really is. Well, we really appreciate that. That, that again, I think is a reflection of, of the, the people that started the company and the people that they've hired ever since. Um, it's really important to us. Um, I, I, I frequently say when I'm talking with somebody, you know, the first or second time, that um, we're, we're not interested in having a, um, you know, a a business relationship that just lasts a year or two. Um, we really want to work with people um, that are going to be successful for a long time. Um, you know, we'd, we would love to be talking to people 20 years from now that um, uh, continue to be Ultimus clients. We've got some uh, clients that actually worked with our founders at the predecessor firm, so they've been with um, the, the nucleus of, of Ultimus for over 20 years now. And we we love the people that we talked to this week are there, are, are there with us 20 years from now. And I think the only way you can really do that is if you have trusted relationships. Um, um, Bob Dorsey, uh, one of our founders and the, the current CEO of the firm, uh, often says he's talked more people out of launching mutual funds than he has into launching mutual funds. <laughs> yeah. It's the same approach I take. Um, you know, you're not going to have a good trusted relationship with any kind of service provider if they're not straight with you. Um, so, we're, you know, we're not interested uh, in, you know, signing the client that maybe they'd pay his fees for a year or two, uh, but then they're going to go away because, honestly, it's not good for us. But even more importantly, it's not good for them. It's going to be a waste of their time and money. 
Um, so we take very seriously um, all the responsibilities we've got. Um, you know, I know we're talking compliance uh, today, and that's that's certainly important. But you know, responsibilities to investors. Um, is it good for us to um, open a fund with an advisor who really isn't going to have staying power? And you know, if you put your money into that fund, and then a year and a half from now it's being liquidated, or there's bad performance, or whatever, um, we're just not interested in in helping make that happen. Um, so. Yeah. Back to your comment. Yeah, we really appreciate it. That's what we strive for, and uh, I'm glad that that comes through. That's awesome. Yeah. For anybody listening, too, you can go to their website. It's Ultimus Fund, Ultimus Fund Solutions. Do I have that right? Or is it fun? That's correct. I want to make yep. sure. UltimusFundSolutions.com. <laughs> I'm saying that just from memory, so sorry if I, I just goofed that up. I'll make sure and, and put a, a link to that, too, with the show. And we're, what we're going to do, do here today is talk a little bit more about Ultimus, but we're going to really ask Dave some questions about the industry and compliance and so forth. So um, I have, I've just got a couple more questions because um, about Ultimus itself uh, before we get started in that sure. other direction. And what I really wanted to talk about, I am, I love kids and um, just, I have four kids myself and I love it when adults um, help kids succeed in really meaningful ways, um, whether it's a mentor or an internship or a recommendation letter or just being there. Um, I'm fascinated by that. I didn't have that so much as a kid. And um, so as an adult, it's something that I just, I, I seek out and it is, it's one of the very first things I noticed about Ultimus. You guys have something that you do really special with youth in your company. Um, and I was wondering if you could just talk about what that is and why you do that. Um, um, it, it, I think it involves LaSalle, LaSalle, is that how you say that? LaSalle, yep. Yeah. Yeah, LaSalle, LaSalle High School is um, actually the school that our CEO, Bob Dorsey, graduated from a few years ago. I won't say how many. Um, <laughs> and it, it happens to be fairly close by our office here. Um, we have for quite a few years uh, worked with the LaSallean uh, Scholars Institute at the high school. Um, each year, their, their best and brightest students get to participate in that, um, where they get to have a number of uh, uh, business-related uh, opportunities, one of which is getting to put together um, a presentation about um, mutual funds that they would recommend for portfolio, why they would recommend them, um, and then the, the capstone of that is they come to our offices and each of the teams of students um, gets to uh, give that presentation to um, some of the, the leaders of Ultimus and we get to ask questions and provide them feedback. Um, so it's, it's a great way for the students to get to learn about mutual funds and apply some of the analytical skills that they've acquired, but then also get to talk to people that have been in the business and um, uh, learn from them as, as they do that. Um, it's honestly, it's, it's great for us. Um, we, as a growing business, need to continue to have people that, that want to be part of the business. Um, it's also pretty cool because some of them eventually if they aren't working at an Ultimus 
they may work as uh, at an advisory firm, um, and that's a good thing. And every one of those students at some point in their life um, should, I don't know if they will, but at least they should be investing for their own future financially as well. And so having an opportunity at a, a very early age to be able to talk about and understand uh, what investing is about is great for them. Um, and, um, you know, we, we really feel like it's a, an obligation for us to uh, be part of the community that we're in and not just take from it. And um, that, as much as anything, is a motor, motivator for us to do that. So um, that's who we're, we are as a firm. Um, personally, I'm, I'm into that uh, 100%. I have been a junior achievement uh, teacher for a number of years um, earlier in my career when I was able to do that. Um, I mentor interns that uh, we hire for, you know, a semester over the summer, you know, those kinds of things, um, a couple of whom have recently become full-time employees. Um, I, I was fortunate like you, um, well, like you, didn't have that experience early in my life, but was fortunate uh, fairly early in my professional life to have a couple of uh, very good managers um, who invested a lot in me, helped me get to where I am today. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I can't pay them back, but I can pay that forward by doing that same thing for somebody else. So. I'm married mine. That's funny, right? I've married mine. <laughs> my, my mentor <laughs> and, and teacher and everything. He's awesome. Peter Garino, thank you. Um, you know, one of the things I noticed about Ultimus, too, is uh, that you guys give back as a company as well. And um, I noticed we have a common friend um, at the Expect Miracles Foundation. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, do, you do, do you know anything about that? Do you do anything um, with that yourself or is that Bob? Um, I don't personally. Bob okay. uh, has been involved with that. Um, I mean, I've I've donated money, but I've not done anything beyond that. But yeah, they're they're a great organization, um, and it's it's really good that that we as an industry get to uh, or, or have people that are willing to make that kind of thing happen. Yeah, Frank. Um, Frank, he he's been on the show before with Expect Miracles Foundation, so mm-hmm. um, because they're out of Boston and everything, so it's it's wonderful. I saw that on a, a social media post for Ultimus. So, um, yeah. Th- but thank you very much for telling us all about the the kids that are involved with Ultimus because I just think that's so good to sure. you know those kids will grow up and never forget that for sure. And um, you guys are located in Ohio. Everybody knew that as well. We're talking Ohio, and um, Dave is a, a graduate of Kenyon College in um, Ohio. So we've got friends that have kids there. So very good. Um, so let's t- let's talk about you for a little bit and how how you got involved in the mutual fund industry. How'd you sure. how'd you get to where you are right now? <laughs> yeah, that's a really really good question. Um, uh, I, if anybody cares, I grew up in a very small town in southwest Ohio, um, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, um, didn't really have much of any business exposure other than um, my dad was a good friend of the, the president of actually two of the three banks that were the corners in the center of town. And so my view of uh, business was the, the 
bank president when I was growing up. Um, I had a, a high school teacher who was a good friend, and I'd asked one time, well, what do you think I'd be good at when I grow up? And she said, I could see you as a stockbroker. And <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I had no idea what a stockbroker did or you know, who would be a stockbroker, what that even meant, but just kind of tucked that away. Um, as you said, I went to Kenyon College. I got a degree in English, which, you know, means I'm uh, uh, immediately qualified to do nothing in the business world. We've talked um, about that before. You, with this, my mass <laughs> communications degree and your English degree, we're lighting up the world. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But um, the, the really important thing, I want to encourage anybody, if, if they're, you know, at, at that point in their lives, um, my degree in English gave me a license to do anything I wanted to do in the business world um, because being able to identify problems, being able to ask the right questions, being able to uh, get to the answers, and being able to communicate about them, really, that's that's what business is, right? Um, so I didn't know it at the time, and it took a while to get there, but having that as a foundation has enabled me to do a lot of things that I find pretty interesting over the course of my lifetime. So, I agree um, with you there, if I can just add a little yeah. bit, because a lot of the kids these days, they go for the showy degree that thinks that they think they're going to make instant money, fame, and fortune from. And um, sometimes life just doesn't work that way. Um, mm -hmm. I know as a kid, I was in college with parents. That, my parents were bankrupt at the time I was in college, and uh, I was just – trying to get a degree <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> really, I was working full-time, going to school full-time, and it was a struggle, a big-time struggle. And um, it's I love what you just said about your degree because that ability to read and write and articulate is priceless. Well, the, the interesting thing for – well, I hope it's an interesting thing. For me, um, early in my career, I was working at a bank here in Cincinnati – um, as a management trainee, um, I was keenly aware that I was an English major and everybody else that was in this program were, you know, finance and accounting and things like that. Um, one of the rotations was in the bank's commercial credit department, and that involved spreading financial statements and then doing write-ups about them. And one of the um, uh, senior uh, uh, bank people that was responsible for the department um, took me aside and said that I was one of the best that they had had that year. And it was largely because I could communicate what I had found in the numbers. They had lots of people that could look at the numbers and maybe even understand the numbers, but they couldn't say what they meant. And <laughs> that was what was important in that job. So um, that, that was a, a, a valuable early learning for me that it really was important to be able to analyze and communicate about about what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, so fast forward so, for me, yeah. and how'd you get to Ultimus? Because they're really it's a great company. <laughs> Sorry, uh, well, I keep saying that, but I mean I truly believe that, and I'm not just saying I just I I wouldn't I I'm glad you're here because it's a, yeah it's a great I, I, I definitely my appreciate that. Yep. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, I worked at a bank, and um, 
the, the very short answer is uh, I, it's, it's going to sound trite, but it's networking and relationship building. Um, as a, a trainee at the bank, I got to know the director of the training program very well and a few of the, the bank officers. And about nine months after I finished that program, the audit department needed somebody to be an IT auditor. And as I said, I was an English major, but because the training director knew me and got to see me um, over the course of the nine months I was in the training program, he uh, told the audit director, I think you ought to talk to Dave because I think he could pick this up. So um, as a fairly recent graduate with no accounting background, no computer background, I was hired to be an IT auditor. And I, I looked at that as a great opportunity, and this was in the early 80s, to learn about technology. It was obvious even then that that was, um, if not the most important, certainly one of the most important uh, building blocks of any kind of business. Um, did that for five years and um, fairly quickly ended up doing work primarily on system conversions um, and system implementation. And this will connect to what I do today. Um, the, the thing that I learned was um, there are lots of risks when you're doing conversion projects, but to my mind, one of the biggest risks is that the systems don't do what the business people need to do. And I observed that the uh, IT people could say words and the business people could hear those words and understand them, but they didn't mean the same thing to them. And so they would answer with words that the computer people could understand, but they weren't meaningful to them. And um, it, it was obvious to me fairly quickly that uh, the groups needed somebody that was a translator that could translate from business speak to computer speak and from computer speak to business speak. <laughs> and yeah. I've, I've done a that. number of things. Yep, I've done a number of things in my career, but that's been kind of the common thread throughout uh, that that piece of being a translator. Um, so fast forward quite a few years, um, I had the opportunity at the bank to um, uh, step into the asset management arm. Um, again, it was a, a relationship opportunity. Uh, somebody asked me what I wanted to do, and I said, well, you know, I've always been interested in investments. What I didn't know was that uh, somebody had given their notice that day and there was an opening. <laughs> so it was one of those great providential uh, uh, coincidences, if you believe in coincidences, um, that it, that was the timing, and that was 25 years ago, and I've, I've been in this space essentially ever since. Um, I've Dave, you've had got great 20 work. years. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You had the great one. Yep. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. I've had the great fortune of working in Cincinnati my entire career and awesome. getting to do the things that I like my entire career um, through a couple of different organizations and opportunities here. I got to know Bob Dorsey many years ago. I got to know um, the other, uh, one of the other co-founders, Mark Seeger, who is our, our president today. Um, and um, 
always admired Ultimus from afar. My feelings about it are, are very similar to what you've expressed. And yeah. um, actually, uh, uh, they called me a number of years ago to ask me about filling a compliance role. Um, it turned out that their need at that point wasn't a great match for me. But a couple of years later, they called back and said, um, we need somebody that can uh, help advisors understand what it is they need to do when they want to launch a fund. And that actually was a perfect follow-on to my work as a compliance officer because compliance officers need to understand the the entire span of the business. Um, You have to understand portfolio management, but you also have to understand transfer agency, and you have to understand computer systems, and you have to understand regulators. And um, going back to the the C word I used earlier, communication, you really have to be able to communicate if you want to be a successful compliance officer. So that all tied up At, at that point. I served as a chief compliance officer um, for some funds and some advisors for, uh, gosh, it was over 10 years, including um, a couple of uh, situations once I got to Ultimus. Um, That wasn't my primary responsibility the last few years, but I was a CCO until about this time last year. Um, But all of that was then the foundation for my current responsibility, which is helping advisors think about starting funds. And then as president of a couple of uh, fund trusts, helping them um, with successful operations once they do decide uh, to launch a fund. Got it. Yeah, no, what I was going to say earlier when I interrupt you, sorry about that, was that, you know, there's there's 20 years of fund and asset management experience on the phone with us right now to everybody who's listening. And this is a wealth of information that's being provided to us about what this role is and means and what a chief compliance officer does. And I would love for you to go into um, like, what is a chief compliance officer? Back us up even if, if somebody listening doesn't know what a chief compliance officer is. What is that, and what does that person or what's that role look like for small or mid-sized, mid-sized advisors? What's that look like these days? Sure, great question. Um, so for people that may not be familiar, um, uh, the asset management, the investment industry is very highly regulated. Um, as is often the case, um, somebody innovates and comes up with a, an idea, and then the next person comes along and figures out the, the loopholes and the ways they can get away with something. And eventually somebody comes back and says, um, uh, this, this business may be a good thing, but you've got to have safeguards around it. And that's what happened with the investment business um, in the late 19th century and early 20th century. Um, the, the investing business grew, but much of it grew at the expense of investors. And um, uh, in the 30s and 1940s, the uh, uh, government stepped in and put in place a series of regulations, which have expanded since then, um, that are the laws and the rules that you have to follow if you want to be in the uh, investment world. Um, Fast forward from the introduction of those rules um, 
about 60 years, so um, the early 2000s, uh, the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, that is the primary regulator for our business, um, realized that they should uh, institutionalize what was already a best practice at, at many firms in the business and required that um, all investment advisors and all mutual funds had to designate somebody to be the chief compliance officer. Um, that means the person that's responsible for understanding what the firm does, what the fund does, if it's a mutual fund family, and what are all the rules um, and laws that apply uh, to the, the firm or the fund, and then also develop documented policies and procedures uh, that the firm or the fund will follow to make sure that they do comply with the rules and the laws. Um, so that's that in a nutshell is what the chief compliance officer is. Um, in a small firm, um, that might be somebody that's got a couple of other responsibilities as well. Um, it's certainly better if it's somebody who uh, is able to focus full time on making sure that the firm or the fund is is complying. Um, sometimes that's not always possible if it's a very small, you know, particularly startup kind of a firm. Um, and that's again, that's that's what that chief compliance officer mm -hmm. is. Um, as as you can probably extrapolate from that, it needs to be somebody that has the capacity to. Uh, balance a whole bunch of competing priorities, particularly in a small firm, especially if you've got other things that you have to do. Um, it's somebody who needs to be able to communicate. I keep going back to that word. Um, needs to be somebody who's got the uh, um, uh, chutzpah to stand up and say, no, this isn't right if something isn't right. And that is a, a key factor that the, the SEC looks for in a chief compliance officer. Um, if you're in a large firm, um, you may have dozens of people that uh, take different slices of uh, the compliance world. You know, they may be looking at, you know, just portfolio trading and on a daily basis are the trades you're executing um, being executed appropriately for your investors. Um, or it might be, like we said, in a smaller or even mid-sized firm, it could be a single person or somebody that's got a very small staff, um, frequently somebody who relies on um, outside consulting help, um, which is a great tool for a, a smaller mid-sized advisor. Um, so that that mix, depending on the size of the firm, um, that's, that's what what compliance is in the investment world. That's very helpful. And the, I, we're going to crank this up a little bit here, crank this up a notch and talk about some of the things that are going on in the compliance world at, right now and in the mutual fund world and the financial services industry. Um, we're going to t Let's talk about first, before we really get into some of the details of things that are happening right now, but um, mutual funds uh, are required to have that independent trust, the, the independent trustees or directors. And I'm curious what you've seen in the fund governance structures that helps or hinders the work of the compliance officers or really ultimately the shareholders there. Um, because th there's a second set of people that go with the CCO. <laughs> if you exactly. Will. I hope I phrased that right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. Yep. No, that's that's exactly right. Um, yes, every mutual fund has, uh, and again, this is one of the rules for, under the SEC that um, they they have directors or trustees. Oftentimes, mutual funds are organized as part of a business trust, so they're called trustees. Uh, the majority of whom have to be independent of the investment advisor. And those trustees are the people who have the legal fiduciary responsibility to watch out for individual shareholders. They're the people that represent those shareholders um, in dealing with the investment advisor. Um, and that's, um, I, I know that that concept is debated sometimes. Do you really need to have uh, trustees or directors? I think that that's an extremely uh, important uh, safeguard for anybody who's investing. Um, ultimately, you've got somebody that has the authority to tell the advisor, no, you can't do that. And in fact, if it's egregious enough, um, it doesn't happen often by any stretch, but theoretically, they, the, the board, well, not theoretically, practically, the, the board has the authority to fire the advisor. So it's a, it's a good, you know, if you think about the American system of governance where you've got checks and balances, this is the set of checks and balances uh, for, for the mutual fund business. However, everybody, oh, yep. go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just going to add to that and just ask like, who, mm-hmm. who are we trying to protect? Like who are the stakeholders that we're keeping in mind here as we're talking about CCOs and independent trustees and directors? What's all, who, What's all that set up for? Who who are we trying to help? Yeah. So so ultimately, the most important ones are the investors uh, because they're the people that are putting their money at risk, hoping that it grows. Um, They are relying on all the rest of us who are involved to do the right thing for them. Um, So doing the right thing means uh, that – you as the advisor, you as the service provider, whoever you are that's involved in the process, I'll get more to that in just a second, um, are following what the prospectus says about the investment. The prospectus simply is the description of what you're going to invest in. So it's not, uh, it's not a go out and just try to make the most money that you can. Um, if you say you're going to invest in American stocks, that means that you'd better not be going out and buying um, emerging market fixed income securities because you just happen to think that that might be a better thing for your investor today. So the, the, the people that are involved, we've already mentioned the trustees or directors, and they're, they're kind of in that uh, top of the the umbrella responsibility for shareholders. You've got the chief compliance officer, and they work on behalf of the trustees to make sure that the advisor and everybody else involved with the the fund are doing the things that the laws say they're supposed to do, doing the things that the prospectus says they're supposed to do. Um, You've got, um, if, if you're sitting in my seat, Um, you also have advisors that you have to think about. And uh, part of my job um, requires that I be a diplomat because it's not unusual that an advisor will say, hey, I want to do such and such. And um, with that 20 years of experience, a lot of that such and such isn't really a good idea. 
and um, it's a matter of explaining why that's not a good idea for your shareholders or for yourself as the advisor. Um, in addition to us um, or, or those groups, you also have the regulators that you have to think about. Um, there's um, uh, people from the SEC that spend time visiting advisors, visiting mutual funds to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, so there's there are a lot of different people that are all involved in, or people and firms, that are all involved in um, bringing that investment, again, back to the shareholder. You, you're putting your money, whether it's you're saving for your child's education or your own retirement or future health care or just that next time that your husband's going to take you to Europe. So whatever it might be. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, you, you mentioned these folks, the SEC, I call it, everybody calls it OC or the Office of Compliance Inspections and Examinations. Um, they, let's talk about them for a little bit because they're part of this whole picture of regulation. And they recently released their 2018 National Exam Program Examination Priorities. Um, wondering what you think about that and if there's, if there's things there that you think fund advisors should be aware of, which mm-hmm, there are. Sure. There's a bunch of things, but <laughs> talk about all of them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think the part of the good news for us as an industry is that while there were um, some priorities, the, there are a couple of things that are new this year, a couple of things that, um, you know, maybe have expanded kind of descriptions. I think part of the good news is that there's not a whole lot that is actually new as a priority for this year. And that says to me that um, the industry is doing a good job, um, generally speaking, at um, not not finding new ways to cause trouble or, or cause problems. Um, so um, the, the, the one thing, I guess a couple of things that I found kind of interesting just, just going through the list, um, we are years and years beyond the point of recognizing that money laundering um, and uh, and general bad currency transactions are not a good idea. And the investing world is certainly a place where, um, in theory, that could be fairly easy to make happen. Um, And yet, still, as one of its priorities, the uh, uh, OC... um, is continuing to focus on anti-money laundering programs at investment advisors. Um, So I I say good news that the industry hasn't come up with more problems. I think, you know, the the flip side of that is maybe it's bad news that advisors um, maybe are still not taking that responsibility seriously. Um, I go back to uh, fairly early in my career, a, a senior leader that I have a lot of respect for um, at the bank I was working for at the time said that that ours is a noble profession and kind of scratched my head, well, you know, what's noble about being a banker? And uh, the answer, which hadn't occurred to me before, was that um, after your family and after your health, your money is probably the next most important thing for you because frequently it's involved with your family or your health. Um, and that, that gave me a whole new perspective on what our responsibilities are in this business. Um, 
it's noble if you do it right, and I think it's almost insidiously bad if if you don't do it right. So, yeah. um, the, the there's part of me that's a little sad that. Um, but that's and I on there. Laundry is still something. <laughs> still on there, yeah. Exactly. On that it list, yeah. Like, oh no. Yep. Uh, was there anything else that you that you thought, or or pretty much yeah, that, that was the, the one that thing, came out? Yeah. Yeah, the the other thing that I found kind of interesting, um, the the SEC I think is is doing a, a much better job um, in in recent years in trying to focus on things that are important, and they keep fine tuning um, how they they get there. One of the things I don't remember seeing before is they said that they were going to be focusing on poor fund performance relative to peer groups as one of the factors they look at in deciding where they want to do their examinations. Um, that one I, I find interesting. I think it's potentially um, also a little frightening to me because um, in, in, in a lot of ways, I think a, a, a good advisor is, um, well, at least in some cases, going to be bringing something that's not like what anybody else does. And mm -hmm. so the idea that you have poor performance compared to your peers, um, really the assessment of that depends largely on whether it's an appropriate peer group. And um, so, you know, I, I think there's at least the possibility that um, uh, people could get unmerited attention simply because they're, they are doing something intentionally that is not like everybody else. Um, not being like everybody else in and of itself, I don't think is a bad thing. So, yeah, that was no, one, I, I, one thing that jumped out. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point because, like, especially if you're getting compared, you know, it's like apples and oranges. You know, if you're exactly. doing something different, yeah. So, yeah, I, I get that. Um, I like that. I like the phrase compliance culture a lot, though, because sometimes with things like that, if you're doing something different, but your culture is very compliance, and you've and you've uh, taken care of of all the things that they might ask ask about, then it's maybe a little easier. Do you agree with that? Well, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, and, and that I think is the part of the importance of, especially if you're doing something that is a little different, the importance of having a good chief compliance officer to make sure that you are doing the right thing and you've got the documentation to prove it. You know, it's, it's great if you yeah. do the right thing, but if you can't prove it with documentation and um, record keeping and all that kind of thing, to, so just just the doing in and of itself isn't sufficient. So, um, yeah, having a good CCO, if if you are in that uh, case, is a very important thing. Yeah. So I was trying to do this whole show without mentioning Edgar, but I'm I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm just going to say it, <laughs> Edgar, because <laughs> I was one of the ones way back a long time ago that helped uh, test and design yep. that system with the Securities and Exchange Commission. A little bit more on the corp fin side of things, but yeah, still I've done many an NSAR in my life. Um, so <laughs> what are oh too many NSARs to even think about? Um, what do you think about the the modernization rules that were finalized and where do you think those are going and how are you helping clients? And, you know, I, I know your job, your job is to help fund advisors meet a, a broad variety of regulatory requirements and so forth. So what, how, what do you think yep. about all that? Yep. Um, well, I, I, I have mixed feelings. Um, I, I think um, there's, there's an awful lot of, 
uh, an awful lot that's going to be required from advisors to meet meet these new requirements. Um, I think, though, it's uh, unfortunately it's it's important um, to, uh, to to fulfill it, not just because it's what the law says, um, but it's it's really I think um, largely a matter of providing the SEC timely data. Um, and analysis, so it's much easier for them and for us to identify problems. Um, that's that's my very short uh, description of, of the additional um, information that's going to be required now. Um, the thing that concerns me in all this, um, in addition to the reporting requirements, advisors are also going to be um, unless the SEC changes its mind, uh, which I don't think it will, advisors are also going to be responsibility um, to uh, put in place liquidity risk management programs, which yeah. means that um, in a mutual fund, they're going to have to um, uh, essentially do their, their best guess, um, certainly based on lots of data, um, as to how liquid their underlying investments are. Um, the thing I've not heard too many people talk about so far is the intersection of providing the data and providing the uh, liquidity risk management program. Because one of the requirements under the liquidity program is you do have to notify the SEC if you get out of tolerance with what's permitted for a, a mutual fund, and uh, daily liquidity is one of the hallmarks of a mutual fund. Um, what concerns me is uh, the first advisor who reports that Security ABC um, has had an event and caused us to go uh, out of what's permitted under the rules. Um, now the SEC is going to be able to push a button and within a matter of a few seconds probably be able to find every other fund that has that same security. And um, that's going to pro uh, prompt, I think, a lot of question asking. And I think it's going to be a place that advisors who think they don't have a whole lot of risk in their portfolio um, maybe aren't going to also have their eye on the ball and do enough to make sure that they don't get into a problem. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, one of the things that, that's always an interesting challenge is keeping up with what the latest requirements are. That's a place that, um, you know, I think good CCOs are going to be thinking about that. I think good compliance consultants are going to be helping their clients think about that. Um, but it, it does concern me as something that I think is going to be fairly easy uh, for advisors to trip themselves up um, if they're not being very diligent about staying up with what's required. Yeah. What about um, ETFs? I'm not sure everybody knows what an ETF is either as we talk about that and bring it up, but um, where are mutual funds with respect to ETFs? And can you back us up and explain what an ETF is and, and how it matters to maybe even an investor listening to the phone call today? Sure. Um, ETF is shorthand for exchange traded fund, um, and um, 
backing up a step, you know, the, the exchanges typically uh, you think about buying stock in an individual company, um, and that's, you know, General Motors or IBM or Google uh, or Alphabet, I guess as it's called now. Um, and a mutual fund is simply a pool of a bunch of securities that the advisor thinks would potentially be good good investments. Um, the exchange-traded fund combines those two concepts. So individual stocks are traded throughout the trading day on exchanges. Um, actually, almost all of it's computerized now, but there are still physical exchanges. Um, the mutual fund typically is valued after the close of uh, the exchange on a given day. So its value is set once during the day. And if there's not a whole lot of volatility, that's probably an okay thing. Um, however, if, um, as we've experienced in recent weeks, there are big swings up or down, um, that end-of-day price may not be representative of what's happened throughout the day or the risk maybe that were taken throughout the day. So the exchange-traded fund is a way uh, to allow for trading throughout the day of that pool of securities, whether they're stocks or bonds or you know whatever else would be permissible. Um, there are certainly benefits, I think, uh, to at least some classes of investors of being able to trade throughout the day. Um, I think, well, I, I, I sometimes want to question um, the need for example a retirement uh, investor whose um, horizon time horizon is maybe 40 years from now do they need to be able to trade at 11 o'clock today instead of four o'clock today um, so I, I think there's there's been a little bit of hype about uh, being able to trade throughout the day um, that maybe is not helpful for all investors, um, but to the extent that, um, and this has been the case, that ETFs have driven down expenses, that is a benefit to, to all investors uh, when there's there's pressure on uh, being more efficient and, and driving down the end cost for a product. So um, yeah. I, I think there's a place for mutual funds. I think there's a place for ETFs. And um, I think... I think there are a lot of strategies, frankly, that um, it, it, we talked earlier about being different. Um, I think there are strategies that make sense as mutual funds that probably don't make sense as ETFs. So um, my, my hope is that they, they both continue to coexist for many, many years. Yeah. Do you um, do you want to talk – is now a good time to talk about the, the high-fee mutual fund classes and so forth and what's going on with that? Because um, would that – is that relevant to, yeah. to yeah, I just want yeah, to make absolutely. sure I tie that in right. Yeah. Cause I know that yep. they, yep. talk about what the SEC did last Monday, cause they launched that initiative to waive the fines. Um, sure. So, so for people that, that aren't fully up with this, um, many mutual funds have multiple sh uh, share classes that are available in for, for investors. And um, those share classes can have different costs to end investors based on things like whether they have a sales commission baked in or they have other fees baked in or um, 
you know, the the cheapest one is going to be the one that doesn't have any of those fees baked in. Um, oftentimes, those additional fees are uh, paid to whoever's involved in the selling of the shares. And so you can see that there's kind of a built-in conflict that if they want to make the most money, um, they're going to want to sell the most expensive share to the investor. And obviously, the best result for the investor is probably getting the least expensive uh, share class because that's going to cut their cost and leave more of their money to be uh, working for them in the investment. Um, the SEC has uh, been aware of this conflict, obviously, for years and um, has, has made it a focus recently to look for situations where advisors are not choosing the least expensive share class possible um, to make available for the investors that they're advising. Um, what the SEC did last week was um, uh, launching an initiative that's going to waive fines uh, potentially for those investors, or excuse me, for those advisors who have uh, put clients into the higher price share classes. Um, I think it's a good thing uh, for those advisors um, if they are aware that that has been going on and uh, felt themselves boxed in, not maybe not sure what to do about it. Um, certainly a requirement is agreeing to reimburse those clients uh, for any extra fees. Um, I've seen situations where, uh, for a variety of reasons, um, an additional share class has been created and um, it simply escaped notice that it was now a less expensive share class and that uh, prior investors needed to be moved into new, the, the new lower fee class. Um, I think that's something that's probably not terribly uncommon and certainly something that I think compliance professionals should be looking for. On the other hand, I, I also was talking with a friend just last week um, a compliance uh, consultant who uh, was at a, a a client that was being inspected by the SEC, and uh, the the exam staff was pushing very hard to try to find that this had happened, um, and it was um, a case where the advisor did use some share classes that had fees built in, but they were meticulous about not doing that if there was ever a less expensive share class available. Um, so I, I think the lesson for me in this and for any uh, people in the industry is this is something the SEC is taking extremely seriously, and you better go back and think again about whether you've got any exposure there because um, it, it's not going to be friendly if, if you had that exposure and you don't do something about it now, I think. Yeah. What um this might be a, a really silly question, so just pardon me if it is. But from a from, from a, a user standpoint, you know, an invest an investment standpoint, you know, just a regular person out there, um, is this something we can spot? Like is this something we should look for, like high fees? Or is that a silly uh, question? Does that have nothing to do with this? No, it's it's not a silly question at all. Um I think probably the vast majority of investors have no idea what yeah. the actual costs are of whatever they're investing in. Um, and that's something that I, I think you ought to look at. Um, you know, you, you 
many people uh, these days are going to look at Amazon or another site, and they're going to visit the Best Buy store, and they're going to know if they can get it cheaper at, at Amazon, uh, they're going to do it there. And they don't necessarily think about that with their investments, and they should. Um, it's it's a little tricky, but any reasonably intelligent person um, should be able to understand how to look at uh, the the summary prospectus, which every mutual fund has to publish, or either the summary or the prospectus. Either way, it's got a table that says these are the expenses of buying the fund that you've bought. Um, now, the evaluation of whether that's expensive or not, that gets a little more challenging. Um, mm-hmm. But one one way to look at that, honestly, is uh, to go to Morningstar.com and you plug in the name of your fund, and right there near the top of the page, it's going to tell you if the expenses are average or above average or high. And um, you should be able to look at the, the category that the fund is in. And then if you find other funds in that same category, you'll be able to tell very quickly if their expenses are lower. Uh, maybe, maybe you're investing in something that costs more than it should. Got it. Do you have a little bit more time? Can I keep you for maybe 10 more minutes, or do you need to leave? Uh, I, I can do um, five. We've got, been on here for an hour. hour. I've, I'm about to open a one can of worms. So I want to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to double check on my calendar. No, I've got, yeah, I, I can do another 10 it. minutes. Yep. Okay. All right. So here's the can of worms, a, a little bit of one anyway. So, uh, there's a lot of talk about cryptocurrencies or so-called cryptocurrencies. <laughs> Let's <Yep>. talk <laughs> with 10 minutes left. Um, keeping in mind too, I want to talk to you about social media also a little bit, but what do you mm-hmm. think about blockchain and Bitcoin? Sure. Um, you know, this, this week, you know, could spend hours and hours just on that topic yeah. and I, I promise I won't do that. Um, so many people have probably heard about Bitcoin from the headlines. They may not have heard so much about blockchain. Um, blockchain is is the technology uh, beneath cryptocurrencies, those non-government currencies. Bitcoin's the most widely knowing, uh, known, but there, there are a bunch of others. Um, blockchain, I think, is going to revolutionize um, our business and I think a lot of other industries. Um, an example, I think, is probably going to be healthcare record keeping. Um, it uh, promises um, the ability to hold data and protect data in ways that are much more cumbersome uh, with the tools that, that we're using today. Um, so I think that's going to be a great efficiency maker um, for our business and for lots of other industries. Um, Bitcoin honestly scares me. Um, I think there are a lot of people getting caught up in it that really don't have a clue what it is they're getting involved in. Um, I was uh, I was over in London week before last and was talking with uh, somebody with a lot of years in the industry and he said, well, I think it's just for, for drug traders and smugglers. Um, and I told him I mostly agreed with that. Um, I can see if you live in a country where 
you experience lots of fluctuation in values of assets and currencies, or you know potentially there are restrictions on the ability to um, you know protect your own property. Maybe for people in that situation, having a currency that's not issued by a government might make some sense. But I think a lot of people um, in the USA, it's it's another lottery ticket. And um, I, I think Norm Champ would say that he's not a fan of lotteries, and I'm not either. No, he's not, is he? We had a whole discussion <laughs> about that on the first radio show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so, so they're two separate things, and people like to talk to talk about them together. Um, mm-hmm. d- different. I'm a I'm fascinated by blo- blockchain. I agree with uh, you completely. That's yeah, just same my opinion, here. But fascinated yep, by it, blockchain, Re- absorbing if any information, trying to. Do you know of a guest that would like to come on for a full hour, even if it's you back again, to just do a show about blockchain? I'm all about it. So even if it's well, I'll, yeah, I'll think think on that one. You know, if if I were in college now or we're starting my career, um, blockchain would definitely have my attention as something I'd want to invest time and energy in because I think it is going to revolutionize a lot of, of what goes on today. Yeah. And and cybersecurity as well. Um, I don't want to pull up too mm-hmm. many too many in-depth topics, but I know that was, you know, it's part of the whole SEC focus and things like that. You know, everybody's talking about cybersecurity um, as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, it's uh, so. making making sure you. I mean, it's 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 the age old thing. You used to have to keep cash in a vault so that people couldn't steal it. Well, you know, now now your information is maybe worth more than the money that you've got. You've got to keep that in a vault so people can't steal it. It's you know, it's the same thing that's been going on mm-hmm. for thousands of years. It's just a different environment because now it sits on on a computer network or in the cloud and instead of on your desk at your home. Yeah, and sort of the same thing. We're going to talk about the very last topic, and then I promise I'll let you go. But this has been such a great phone call, um, such a great radio show, and I just appreciate you being here. Um, same thing about social media. Social media is like saying hello to somebody in, per- in person, only it's through a phone or a platform or a text message. Um, totally different. But how is the investment management um, realm using social media um, or financial services, if you want to broaden it out, as a method mm-hmm. for communicating with their investors, because I—that's kind of what compli- the space compliance force sits in, really—is helping people with their social media. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you what do you think about it? Because I'm I'm seeing so much, so many hands tied with being able to use it, really. Yeah, you know, um, I, I have a, an 18 year old daughter, and a confounded me for a long time i thought she didn't have a lot of friends and (laughs) i don't remember what it was but it finally clicked oh she does the way she communicates with them isn't the way i communicated with my friends when i was her age so she's got probably more friends than i did (laughs) and not a fight for the phone right (laughs) exactly it's a different method of of building and maintaining those relationships um and that, I think, uh, unfortunately, um, because um, sadly the, the regulatory environment so often is reactive instead of proactive, um, the, the, the framework to allow advisors to share, I think, useful, um, helpful information 
uh, through social media channels um, and be able to prove that they're compliant, which we talked about earlier, is you know you've got to have documentation to be able to show that you did things the right way. That just doesn't work well with the instantaneous nature of, of social media. Um, it's you know much more ad hoc. It's much more conversational, and that just doesn't fit with the regulatory structure. Um, I. I'm sure if if you were a large firm and you could afford to throw lots of money and resource um, at it, you could come up with ways to make that work and still satisfy what's required by the uh, regulatory regimes. Um, I would tell you that in the space that that I see most frequently, which are the smaller and mid-sized advisors, they just don't have the resources to try to figure out how to make that work. So I think, by and large, many of them shy away. Mm-hmm. Having said that, though, um, one of my uh, uh, the, the, the newer clients that we've got that to me is very fascinating is a firm, uh, a small firm of uh, uh, people in their 20s and 30s that this is, they grew up, the, the way they grew up communicating. And so they are finding the ways um, to be as conversational and up-to-date as they possibly can. Um, it's frankly a little struggle for them because we sometimes have to say, love that, but that doesn't Can't fit do with it. the rules. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I've seen some social media compliance policies at firms, um, you know, just out there, you know, that are um, that are like you can't use this. Like where mm-hmm. you can't use Facebook, you can't use uh, Twitter, but you can have LinkedIn as long as it's not anything to do with the company, basically. You know, it's just <laughs> like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you got me there, there, and there, you know, and, and you're going to monitor, you know, text messages. And, you know, it's always, it's, there's a lot out there. I would, I would love to see some of those rules ease up or rewritten or, like you said, sort of way more proactive. Um because if you think about the way things are shared in person, um, there should be a, an ability to translate that online. Well, you better. think so, and you know, yeah. I hadn't thought about this before now, but you know, maybe that's even something that you could throw a blockchain at, and if there's a way to use that to capture those those instant communications and being able to then have the record to prove it down the road, you know, maybe that helps get there. So, I yes. personally, I think it will be some sort of technological innovation like that. Um, that will evolve. I, I just haven't seen any real great examples of it so far. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I have totally taken up your time. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you being here so much. That was that was a full hour plus show. And um, thank you f- so much for being here with us today. What a great, um, just a wealth of information out there. Well, Elizabeth, it's, it's been my my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and thank you to all your listeners. And you know, if anybody wants to get in touch, um, ask more questions. Um, I'm at D Carson, without any punctuation, at Ultimus Fund Singular Solutions Plural dot com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Yeah, and I will make sure and follow up with links 
to your various social media um, spots where Ultimus is and as well as the website to go with the show because I noticed I didn't do that in the show description, so I'll make sure and follow up like that. But um, I appreciate it. I appreciate you all so much for listening. Again, we're brand new. A little bit of a glitch here today at the beginning. We'll make sure and fix that. (laughs) But I appreciate (laughs) you uh, sharing the show because we're starting this out just like Best Ever You, um, very grassroots no advertising, no anything like that. So it's all going to grow based on how you guys share and love the show and, um, and spread it out there in social media. Um, Dave, you're even on Pinterest. So. Oh, no, that's exciting. <laughs> I'm one up on my daughter. You, you made my day. <laughs> we went up. I didn't put you on Snapchat yet, but you're on Pinterest. So, all right, everybody, take care. <laughs> take Thanks, care. Elizabeth. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you all. Thanks for listening and sharing the Compliance 4 radio show. Visit us at Compliance4.com to join your peers and our experts in our growing community. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.